Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, February 18th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer Huai Chan Bui. Hey, everyone. All right. Well, uh, t- yesterday was President's Day, which is why we didn't have an episode. So hopefully you guys both enjoyed your President's Day. Um, we didn't really have much going on in the site, but we do have some news items to uh, get to today. So let's just jump right into it. HT, tell us about the latest with the HBO Max Gremlins animated series that's coming up soon. Yeah, so Joe Dante, who uh, directed Gremlins and Gremlins 2, The New Batch, has revealed that he will be working as a consultant for the upcoming HBO Max animated prequel series, Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai. Uh, This series is set in 1920s Shanghai and will follow Mr. Wing, the shopkeeper from the first movie, as he discovers um, Gizmo. And uh, so he revealed in an interview with uh, The Daily Dead that he is consulting on it and he's very pleased with the way it's going. Uh, He goes on to describe describe how it's a prequel and um, it, that it's not probably not going to be done until 2021 or maybe the end of 2020. Um, Jacob, I assume, have you seen both uh, Gremlins movies by any chance? Yeah, I, I like them both quite a bit to various degrees. So what do you make of this news, the idea that Joe Dante is going to be a consulting, you know, I, I guess a consulting producer probably on this thing? Like, does that uh, give you any more faith or in an animated uh, prequel to Gremlins? Or is just that concept something that's not interesting to you, regardless of Joe Dante's involvement? Uh, it certainly gives me a lot more goodwill toward the project. Uh, Joe Dante is a guy who hasn't directed a feature film in quite some time. Hollywood kind of left him behind, which is a shame because he was always doing something interesting. He's always making movies that were uh, innovative and fun and wild and totally him. So I'm happy he's collecting a paycheck. I'm happy someone's giving him money to do anything. Uh, but also the fact that they're giving him his job, and it could be a token job for all we know, uh, it means that they're at least acknowledging that he's the reason that those previous films worked and why they're classics. So we'll see how much it translates to an actual good show or not. Uh, but I feel like reaching out to him in any way when they could have left him behind or left him out is a sign that they at least understand why those movies worked. Yeah. It's good optics. If absolutely nothing else. Um, 
th- this show being set in China in the 1920s uh, is kind of interesting to me. I-, I have only seen, I think I saw Gremlins probably when I was like 15 and I have not revisited it. And I don't know if I've ever seen the second one all the way through. I've seen chunks of it, but I, I don't remember like sitting down and watching it all the way through straight. HT, what's your relationship with Gremlins like? Um, I know about the jokes, uh, basically the famous line of don't feed it after midnight. And that's kind of the extent of it. I haven't gotten around to seeing Gremlins. I think it's, um, I appreciate the pop culture impact it has, but, um, I've never just got around to watching it. Does this animated series that sort of takes things so far back into prequel territory, does this uh, interest you at all? Because it seems to um, be like a big jump away from, I guess, the traditional like suburban setting of that, that we know from the Gremlins uh, movies. Well, I do think it's interesting that they have a Chinese writer uh, on the prequel series. So it's Zay Chen, I'm uh, probably not pronouncing that right, but who is going to be writing uh, The Secrets of the Mogwai. And um, so I do you think that that is good that they have uh, a Chinese voice uh, behind it? But um, I can't say I have much interest in it, just not having any sort of um, investment in the Gremlins series as it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of right there with you. Um, although I do want to give a quick plug to um, David Chen, who uh, is one of the hosts of the Slash Filmcast, also has a podcast called Culturally Relevant, and he just interviewed the showrunner of Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai, who also was a writer on um, the Apple TV series Little America. He wrote one of the uh, episodes of that anthology series. So if you want to hear more directly from that showrunner, you can go listen to the Culturally Relevant podcast. Man, I have no idea why it's really difficult to say those two words back to back. Um, Okay, let's jump into our next story, which is interesting. Uh, Lee Whannell, who is directing um, The Invisible Man that's coming up soon. I think uh, our own Chris Evangelista is out at a screening of that right now. Um, He is also going to be working on a remake of John Carpenter's Escape from New York, which an idea of an Escape from New York remake has been around for a long, long time. Um, Probably as long as I've been writing about movie news, I've been hearing, you know, rumblings of this and different versions over the years. I think Robert Rodriguez was going to be working on a version at one point. Um, Brett Ratner. Remember Brett Ratner doing that? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Wow, man. Uh, So anyway, the um, uh, Lee Whannell was asked about casting for this project. And he said, uh, casting Wyatt Russell seems like the obvious thing to win the fans over. So talking about, you know, like uh, engendering goodwill from a fan base. Uh, casting Wyatt Russell, who is Kurt Russell's son, obviously Kurt Russell starred in the original movie. Um, that would be kind of an amazing thing. Uh, Jacob, what do you think about, uh, I mean, I, I assume you're a big Escape from New York fan because that movie rules and that's one of John Carpenter's best. Uh, you're right. I, I am a big fan of that movie. And it really works because of Kurt Russell's performance. Uh I mean, it, the whole thing is a really great movie, uh, but all precariously balanced on the shoulders of Kurt Russell, who uh, Snake Plissken is such a great character because John Carpenter builds this whole world of weirdos and chaos around him, and he just has this sort of like weary, uh, 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 just heavy-hearted sneer at the whole thing. He just is this his as a character Snake Plissken is so incredibly uninterested in all the in, in, insane crazy things <laughs> uh in the margins around him and that's such a hard thing to pull off well and kurt russell is one of the very few actors who can pull that off and his son white russell is a very interesting actor one who i'm uh he was in overlord he's in really remember episode of black uh black mirror and i like him a lot as an actor i'm not so sure if him being cast as a new Snake Plissken is an immediate token of goodwill. Um, but I like Lee Winnell a lot, and 
I think that um, I haven't seen Invisible Man, but his movie Upgrade he made before that is a sign that he has a real knack for filming uh, like low budget sci-fi action. So if he wants to cast Wyatt Russell in this remake, I, I go for it. I am more excited by the prospect of Lee Wanell doing Escape from New York than by Wyatt Russell starring in it. Uh, but you know, I don't want to immediately say get a Russell in there or I'm done. But right. I do feel like if you are going to do Snake Plissken again, there are worse people who can cast. Uh, I know they wanted Gerard Butler like 15 years ago. Yeah. And that's no, no, thank you. I think that there's something dangerous about, about about the Russell family even uh on the screen at least you look at them and go there's something wrong with them and in a good way um <laughs> and that's why and that's why I like about this casting more so than someone who feels safe and more bland leading man yeah HD yeah. have you have you seen this movie at all I can't say I have um but I do like Wyatt Russell and you know Kurt Russell is great in every, in every movie I've seen him in of course uh but Wyatt Russell and, and Kurt Russell definitely have different energies I feel like Wyatt is def- has more kind of the character actor who chews the scenery in whatever supporting role he's, he's in. I remember liking him in uh, Ingrid Goes West and Everybody Wants Some, um, but he doesn't have quite the same uh, leaning man energy as as Kurt Russell, but maybe that'll help with Escape from New York, uh, from what I'm hearing, what you're talking about. Man, I'm torn on this because, I, and, and I should clarify that uh, Lee Winnell just said that casting Wyatt Russell seems like the obvious thing to win the fans over, but I don't know. It, it's unclear to me if that's something that he's actually interested in doing or if he was just sort of throwing it out there as a hypothetical, but I thought it would be a fun, you know, uh, jumping off point for this conversation anyway. I was trying to think of like modern actors who are around 30 years old who I think sort of capture that same. Uh, what did you say, uh, Jacob? Like a, a, a like a hard-hearted sneer or something that that Kurt Russell brought to the original. Um, Daniel Kaluuya, Oscar Isaac, and Bill Skarsgård are three that I could come up with that I could maybe envision as Snake Plissken. But it's such a tough thing because that character is so iconic and so intrinsically linked to Kurt Russell as a performer. But if there is going to be a remake, and if it is going to be from at least hopefully an interesting filmmaker like um, like Lee Winnell maybe he could change things up a little bit. I, I'm right there with you in, in terms of like liking Wyatt Russell a lot. I'm not sure if he's the best fit for this, but Jacob, as somebody who has seen uh, Escape from New York, what do you make of Kaluuya, Oscar Isaac, or um, or Bill Skarsgård maybe stepping into and like donning the eye patch? Uh, I'm not opposed to any of them. Those are all interesting uh, choices on your behalf. Uh, but here's my counter pitch. Uh, go a little older. And uh, put Michael Shannon in that eye patch. Whoa! Oh, I love that idea in general. So. <laughs> oh wow! Well, yeah, I'm. We're gonna move on to the next topic, but trust me, my mind is gonna be staying with a Michael Shannon Snake Plissken for the rest of the day. So, uh, okay, let's move on to uh, the Saint. This is a uh, a remake that is coming from Paramount of a 1997 movie that was directed by Philip Noyce and starred Val Kilmer. Before that. Uh, the Saint was a series of books in the 1920s and eventually went on to spawn a TV show that starred Roger Moore before he became James Bond. Um, it has been, you know, in comics and TV and, uh, yeah, books. It's It's been like a, you know, uh, a medium-spanning property for decades and decades and decades. And Paramount has finally found the director of its Saint remake, and that is Dexter Fletcher, who is the guy who just directed 
uh, last year's Elton John musical Rocket Man. So um, I just wanted to sort of put this project on people's radar. This is another one that's been in the works for a little bit. I think 2016 is when Paramount uh, sort of started expressing interest in remaking this property. Um, interestingly, a couple years ago, Deadline had a report that Chris Pratt was in talks to star in this movie. I remember writing up that news and thinking, I'm not sure if Chris Pratt is the right person to play Simon Templar, who is the lead character of the saint, who is basically like this um, Robin Hood-esque figure who's a master of disguise, and he's sort of like a, a good-natured con artist slash thief who a lot of times he'll steal from the rich and, and sort of redistribute that wealth to the poor. Um, over the years, he's evolved into a secret agent and, uh, you know, an all-purpose adventurer, things like that. Um, but generally, it's like sort of a spy thriller, and I just couldn't imagine Chris Pratt as a master of disguise, but this new report from Variety talking about how Dexter Fletcher was hired does not mention Chris Pratt at all. So, uh, like I said, that came from 2018, his involvement. So maybe he's moved on to other things. I kind of hope that's true. And, and I personally kind of hope that because Dexter Fletcher is involved, that maybe Taron Edgerton would get uh, on board with this project because Dexter Fletcher and Tedger, uh, Taron Edgerton have worked together a couple times, uh, not only on Rocketman, but also on this really um, great underseen sports drama called Eddie the Eagle from a few years ago. And I feel like uh, Taron Edgerton, this is just my pure fan casting here, is a much more adaptable actor than somebody like Chris Pratt, who pretty much, as far as I can see, only has like two modes, like lovable doofus or, uh, you know, gritty action hero. And I feel like Taron Edgerton has the um, the self-awareness and the sense of humor to be able to, to get into uh, disguises and do crazy voices and really like make himself look ridiculous on on film which is what Val Kilmer did really really well in that 97 movie so uh do any of you have a relationship with the saint I, I saw the film in 97 when I was or maybe 98 or something like that when I was probably I don't know 13 and uh enjoyed that um but I have not really like dived into the books or anything uh Jacob this seems like some weird thing where you've like read 13 the saint books <laughs> over the years uh not at all I, I have not read the books I saw a little bit of the tv show uh you know young James Bond fan one no more but Roger Moore and that's what got him that gig in the first place and I saw the movie in the 90s but it's such a forgettable thing that I don't remember much about it at all I do think Dexter Fletcher is interesting, though, because I don't think he hired Dexter Fletcher to make a straightforward standard action movie, especially after Rocket Man. So if I was a studio head, I'd give Dexter Fletcher uh, the green light to make a Down of Love style 1960s colorful throwback with Taron Edgerton in the lead uh, that goes like that really leans into the uh, not quite campy, but throwback qualities that make the Saint charming. Because I think you try to pull that character in, into the modern day. He just runs together with, with so many other types of action heroes. But if you embrace the roots, you get something that could be a lot more colorful and fun. Yeah, kind of like a Man from Uncle style thing that's like super stylish. And yeah, I, I agree. I think that would be uh, an, an interesting way to go. So we'll have to see what Paramount decides to do with that. Um, let's move on to our final story of the day, which is Martin McDonough has lined up his new movie. And it sounds pretty exciting. HC, what do we know? Yeah, Martin McDonough's new movie is a going to take him back home, essentially. It is called The Banshees of Inishir, and it will reunite his In Bruges stars, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, in a film about a friendship gone sour in Ireland. So the film follows two lifelong pals on a remote Irish isle, um, and after an impasse that abruptly ends the friendship results in alarming consequences for both. This is really exciting for... Um, 
a lot of reasons. First, the re- reunion of Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, who were so great in, in Bruges and had such a, a crackling dynamic to them. Um, and I like the fact that McDonough is heading back home, too, because I was one of those that was kind of lukewarm on three billboards outside Emming, Missouri, and I didn't think Seven Psychopaths was that great either but I absolutely adored in Bruges and I think he really is uh, fantastic in his element when he's you know in sort of um, doing foul mouth capers in European cities Jacob what do you think about this uh, I love this uh, Mark McDonough is one of my favorite writers I think it's his plays before he became a film director are really incredible if you haven't read the pillow man you should definitely seek it out and they all have that very European uh, quality to them they're all set in that continent for the most part and all have that very distinct voice. I agree with the uh, HG that In Bruges is a straight-up masterpiece of my favorite films of all time. Not being Seven Psychopaths. And I, I think seven, Three Billboards is uh, really good. I think Times can be kind to it. I, like, I think that movie's terrific. And I really do not like where the discourse went <laughs> surrounding that one. But I agree with HT that um, uh, maybe he's best uh, in his best element when he is working uh, in lands and territories where he's intimately familiar with the people and the language and the culture. So the idea of him... Uh, teaming up with these actors again is very exciting and uh i think he's such an interesting unique talented guy and i'm very excited to see what this is yeah his scripts are so um god i don't even know what the word would be for them but it's sharp yeah that's a good one um i it's like when i watch three billboards i all i could think of was like oh my god this sounds so written but in the best possible way and it's really i should try to uh, narrow down my thoughts to to be a little bit more um, intelligible than that. But it, there's like this uh, ineffable thing that, that happens when I watch a Martin McDonough movie where it's just everything seems to click in place really, really well. I love him as a filmmaker. I, I really actually enjoyed Seven Psychopaths, even though I know that movie is not very uh, beloved at all. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for this. I think specifically for the reasons you guys mentioned, like the reunion of this cast and the return to Ireland, I think that's one of the biggest complaints that I remember about Three Billboards was like, oh, this you know European guy coming in and trying to tell Americans how it is in the middle of the country. And, and I guess when you remove... Uh, if you take him out of that environment and put him back into familiar territory, I think, um, you know, that and like the entire conversation surrounding that will go away and people can just concentrate on the dialogue and that that uh, sharpness that I was talking about earlier. So, um, yeah, the Banshees of Inishir, what a cool title. I'm very interested in this. Before we end, though, Jacob, you mentioned um, reading his plays. I have never read a script for a play before. I imagine they're probably, you know, findable online somewhere. But is that something that you would recommend? Like, is it the same thing as sitting down to read a screenplay? Like, uh, are there stage directions and all that kind of stuff in the in the document itself? Like, can you see it in your head the same way that you could see a movie? Yeah, very much so. A screenplay tends to be, uh, you know... Uh has a lot more action than a stage play. Since stage plays, you know, meant to be performed in a single space, there tends to be a lot more dialogue, very dialogue heavy, which is why uh, filmmakers come from the stage, like McDonough, tend to have uh, that dialogue heavy approach because uh, that's where they come from. That's, and that's where that's where it's where the dialogue from something like McDonough, which is more stylized and written, as you said, uh, feels more natural in a stage environment. And some people can't deal with that when it goes in the film. I, I can. I, I appreciate that. But yeah, uh, you can find all of his plays published available on Amazon. Uh, and it's a matter of, you know, imagining the actors in your head as you as you read it. And uh, if you want a place to start, his most famous one is The Pillow Man, which is a uh, sort of 
horror murder investigation uh, story about uh, uh, I, I, uh, I don't want I don't, don't want to say too much. If, if you have <laughs> it, if you it's like if you enjoy like Zodiac or like really really grim tales of, of murder and investigation, uh, the Pillow Man is that with like extremely flourished dialogue in a way that I. I can't recommend more enough. It I, I, it chilled me to the bone when I read it. And I think people would really like it. Wow, Ishi, are you familiar with his play? His uh, what is it called? Stage play work, I guess. Oh no, I haven't read any of them, but I'm really intrigued by the Pillow Man. I kind of I really want to check it out now. Yeah. All right. Um. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Home Daily. Uh, you can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com, and you can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location location in case we mention your email on the air and don't forget to rate and review the podcast on itunes that helps us out a lot tell your friends about the show spread the word thank you for listening and we will talk to you tomorrow just so you guys it's probably not worth um mentioning on the podcast but we're talking about plays that people should read um especially people listening to slash film uh daily i'd recommend uh mr burns a post-electric play which is uh one of the strangest plays i've ever read where the first act is people essentially it, the, the apocalypse has begun the power has gone out uh, the world's in chaos a group of friends huddle together in the darkness and to stay calm try to remember uh, an episode of the simpsons and like we tell it to themselves as <laughs> wow. a comforting thing and then the second act is years later where the same group are now a group of traveling um uh, thespians going through the wasteland performing simpsons episodes for <laughs> um for people but in a way that the way they only remember the episode so it's not quite right and the third act is even more in the future, where it takes on this sort of uh, Shakespearean or Greek tragedy form with all wearing abstract costumes and performing Simpsons a thousand years removed. Um, <laughs> wow. It is, it is deeply strange. Oh, and, my uh, goodness. Who was who that by? Uh, look at the right. Uh, uh, Anne Washburn and Michael Friedman. Huh. The only so. play I've ever read is uh, The Cursed Child, which is not – I wouldn't recommend that, but um, that sounds amazing. <laughs>